Hello, everyone, and welcome to another time of study in the Word from the Father's Church in Dallas, Texas. My name is Ron Crawford. I am blessed to be the pastor here, and it is wonderful to be able to reach out to my congregation today and also to extend very much heartfelt greeting to our Saints Network family throughout this great nation and uh, for those who are listening in other nations. Welcome. It's hard to imagine that we are now in the last minutes of the month of December 2022. Time is really fleeting. And on the one hand, I marvel at what God has allowed for the saints to be able to partner with him in doing over this past year. But on the other hand, I recognize how much more work there is to be done for the kingdom. And this is, uh, this is really a rarity among church mentality. Um, so many, so many churches don't, in, in our nation today, and this is the truth, don't really even believe the word of God. It's more of a social encounter, and they, they, the people like to come together for that purpose alone, or for whatever department in that church might be providing something for the family, or uh, you know, it, there's just a lot of agendas, but the idea of doing something tangible for the kingdom is rare in their mindset. Then there are, there are others who just think that all the church should do is speak out every now and then against uh, challenging things that are around us. Sin is an easy shot. And just to wait for the rapture. But the preponderance of evidence from the scripture, which God has allowed his saints to see, is that we have a very, a very important work to do. The church, or the ecclesia of God, God's representative governmentally on earth, we have a lot of work to do. For the night comes when no man can work. I was a kid, um, I'd hear that message, and it was always equated with evangelizing. You better evangelize now because the night is coming. Nobody will be able to evangelize. Well, legally, that's already happening. That, 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 um, that measure of uh, deterrence or attempted deterrence is happening in, in many nations. But... One thing we know from church history is that oppression and repression of the church usually means there's going to be growth. And so when the night comes, and it will come, the Bible says that on many occasions, there will be a great influx of people who accept Christ. Wars do that. Challenging times necessitate that kind of accountability in people. And so the idea that night comes and the work that should be being done is simply evangelism doesn't wash with uh, a reality of the way things happen the history of uh, Christendom over the past 2,000 years. So what is that work that we must do? Well, there are a lot of things that, that we as Christians, as saints, should be doing. We should be praying every day. Not our prayer list, but praying in the spirit, our spirit praying, our diversities of tongues, lifting them up before the throne of God. And then hearing from God and doing what he says to do. We need to be recruiting 
those to whom God sends us, making disciples of them so that they can do the same work of intercession and establishing the cross and being, um, being those kinds of sons, heirs and joint heirs, that Jesus came for us to grow into. But this past Sunday, I spoke rather rapidly on a topic that I know God wants us over the next months to clarify a bit more and expand and expound upon. But there was such a download of the Spirit in the hours preceding the message on that morning that uh, I I know that I was just rushing, not too fast, but I was putting a lot of information out. It was more like a, a declarative. It's more, even though I did not sense any participants in what the scriptures call a theatron or being made a spectacle that before the principalities and powers, God is revealing the mysteries. Uh, I didn't sense or see any of them, but I knew that as we were proclaiming from the word that God was using those proclamations to gain us entrance into what the scripture says is going to be happening. Does that make sense? And when I finished and we entered into the time of worship that led us into communion, and that was a really wonderful time, I was laying on my face before the Lord praying, and immediately I recognized that in my haste to bring things out or to bring the scriptures out that even though I had it written on my notes, I didn't mention one of the facets that the Lord spoke about in Matthew 25, and that was when you were sick, when I was sick, you visited me. So I think that we should perhaps reread the first part of this prophetic declaration from the lips of our Lord Jesus Christ and see what this work is that we are called to be doing right now. Matthew 25, beginning at verse 31. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory with all the holy angels, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory. And before him shall be gathered all nations. Now, this is Jesus talking about himself. So this wasn't a man saying something God was going to do, even though that's powerful. This wasn't Jesus saying something that somebody else was going to do. That's powerful. This is the Lord talking about when the timing comes for him to establish the throne of his glory, the fulfillment of the partnership of God with man on this earth and he will be with the angels and so it's it's kind of interesting that here's the Lord not not really prophesying the Lord God himself saying this is what I'm going to do you can you can write this down this this is what it I can tell you, since I am yesterday, today, and forever, I'm the same. I'm the beginning and the end. <coughs> this, is, this is happening. So just pay attention to it. Before him, verse 32, he will gather all nations. And he'll separate them one from another. This is uh, ethnos, so groups of people in designated areas of the world will, will come together. 
And he does this as a shepherd divides sheep from goats. We've talked about this sheep and goats business before. How that goats truly, they're cute little creatures. Even the baby goats, they're, they're really cute. They do fun things. You can look online and you can see people who, who advocate um, kind of safe zones. They'll bring baby goats and have people go and sit in the park with them. And it's supposed to calm people down. Some people have goats as pets in their house. Um, I like the videos that have those those screaming goats that that's <laughs> that make the funniest sounds. They sound like they're screaming. Then there are also goats that when they get scared, they all just fall over. You can look that up. It's, it really is funny. But the problem with goats is that they're undisciplined usually, and they'll eat anything. And God really equates goats with those kind of creatures that are not sheep. They don't follow very well. Now, you may have an occasional goat that's trained, but for the most part, they will, they'll get up on roofs. They'll get up. They'll eat things. Uh, it's one of my favorite Andy Griffith shows was when a goat got into, they were doing con a construction cruise storehouse of TNT and ate, the, ate the, some sticks of dynamite. And they locked that goat in, in the jail there in May Mayberry. And I think Otis, the town drunk, came in and Barney was just being Barney and they, they led that goat out and quiet out into the outskirts of the, of, the, of the town. Goats are just kind of that way. If you go through a petting zoo with your kids, better watch out for goats. Ostriches too, camels too, lots of them do this. But goats, they'll just snatch the, they'll snatch the little cup of food out of your kid or your grandchild's hand. You always have to tell them, no, don't get that too close to those goats. They're not just going to eat what's in your hand. They'll take the whole thing. And, you know, we talked not long ago about on the Day of Atonement um, how that there was the sprinkling of the goat blood as well, which and then the scapegoat. And we, we talked about that, about how they that goat represents the wilderness where God is wanting to lead his people. So... Um, Sheep from goats here speak about those that are following the Lord as opposed to those who are willful, doing whatever they want, just dwelling in a wilderness environment without wanting to turn that wilderness into anything godly. Okay, so there's that. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, which is prophetic obedience, the goats on the left. And again, this is another teaching that we've done a lot. The difference between right and left in Scripture. Right is the prophetic. Left is the fulfillment. You've got you've to wait on the prophetic to come to its full accomplishment of what God intends. And then God moves when he wants to. But the church is largely left-handed. They want things now. Sons of Sceva, which means left hand didn't want to have a relationship with Jesus, didn't want to follow uh, his directives as to deliverance. They just went out and started to try to bring a demonic deliverance in the name of Jesus. And Jesus, I know, Paul, I know, who are you? You know that story. With the left hand, in the timing of the Lord is wonderful, but the left hand that um, is just willful and, and wants to bypass the the uh, flow pattern uh, that's ordained by God where Jesus is at the right hand of the throne and uh, you, you accept the commission in faith and you move forward in, in agreement and partnership with God and then there will be a time for fulfillment but that's God's timetable and not up to you. So the sheep are on the right hand, those that have participated in this process of God. The goats are on the left. See, these are all things that Pneumatikos people should already know. I'm just reiterating them as a, as a refresher, and perhaps for anybody that's tuning in and 
they, all, they lost me when I said you shouldn't just sit and wait for the rapture. So, what does Jesus say to the sheep in verse 34? Then the king, being himself, will say to them on the right hand, Come, you blessed of my father. Blessed there is eulogia. You have accepted his purpose according to his logos, and you have done everything within your power to partner with him according to what he has established from the foundation of the world. And you're moving on behalf of the Father, which is what Jesus came to make available for us. All of those red words, color red, in the middle of John where Jesus is telling his disciples whether they were listening or not, you know what, I'm going to go away, but it's going to be beneficial for you far better because I'm going to my Father, and you will then not ask me anything, but you'll ask the Father in my name because the Father loves you. Let the Father let them know you as I knew you. Remember all that? Sometimes we forget that, and we think that the Father is still some dimension of God that we can't approach and is just waiting to send lightning bolts at you and judge you. But you should be having a relationship with the Father. So the first thing that Jesus says here, after he separates and distinguishes those who've been operative at the right hand, is you come to me. You come. And um, it's, it's an imperative. Uh, it's, it's, it's just there's no, come on, come on, come. You, you've earned this by your faith in God. You have put yourself in a position for this. You, you fulfilled what my Father has asked, and you come, and you inherit. There's our word. We've talked about this with being joint heirs and inherit and, and, and heirs of Christ and with Christ. Uh, you, you are now functioning in that relationship in the kingdom that was prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Isn't that something? There's that foundation of the world business again. What all did God prepare at the foundation of the world? What all did God foresee and the blood of saints and martyrs, prophets, was shed from the foundation of the world. What, what all did God know at the foundation of the world when he knew he would have to come and as, as, uh, as a son to shed his blood? What did God create? In the beginning, God created, and it was good. What, what, what all was that? God prepared this at the foundation of the world. And we are, we've been active in, as sheep and as sons, in working in regard to this. This is a big topic. Remember, we also talked about the cross and how Jesus was crucified on the cross, which was a dual word, a stake of ownership for the histeme. And if you're going to serve the Father, you've got to take up your cross and follow. You've got to go where God has assigned you and establish that stake of ownership of that histeme in the midst of that, of that piece of the foundation that was prepared do you see this? And then he, he says how you, how you basically worked. And we talked about how these words, even though it's wonderful for the church to be benevolent and philanthropic, we've talked about how these words are dynamic. They, they speak about our work for the kingdom. They were translated in such a way that makes you think, 
that you're just kind of like the Salvation Army, and I bless the Salvation Army. You see those bells ringing with Santa Claus in the big pot? Put money in it. I bless that. And I remember going with my father when I was just a little boy about once a month on a Saturday night. Why I was going at, at five and six years old, I don't know. My older siblings didn't. I often wondered whether my mom just wanted to get me out of the house or wanted to make sure that my dad was accountable. Or maybe there was something spiritual. <laughs> I'm sure it was. But we would speak at the Union. My father would preach at the Union Gospel Mission, which is still functional in Pittsburgh. I mean, the Pittsburgh Steelers support that. It, it's, it's a good work. But we would also speak at a Salvation Army outreach. My dad would. I would just sit there in the front row. And he'd preach a simple message of salvation. And, um, but we would also help to serve food to the men. Uh, my dad would be up behind the counter, you know, helping to dole out the food or doing stuff in the kitchen. And I would walk around with bread or something, you know, if, if, if see if any of the men needed anything. They thought that was nice. Could never do that today, probably, because you never know what kind of people uh, would be there, and you would never send a little child like that around a bunch of people who were operating under their own truth. So I believe that there is a place for that kind of ministry, but that's not what Jesus is talking about here. In fact, the terminologies, I was hungry, you gave me meat. Um, this, this speaks about needing to bring the meat of the word to people. Thirst speaks about communing and, and fellowshipping with God and activating the waters within and the waters without. You, you, it, it usually comes as a stranger, as a xenos somebody that is sent into another place to to activate people and and they they need to be uh, received naked and you clothe me this speaks about the covering that God wants to establish people don't know that they need the meat of the word and if they do know sometimes they don't care people don't know that they need to be fellowshipping with God not just knowing the word but knowing the God of the word not just scatter shooting prayer requests, but partnering with God from the spirit within you concerning his mysteries and then hearing what he says and receiving of him and knowing him, fellowshipping. People don't know that you've got to want to go out and make those kinds of disciples, not just get people in the church's roles. You know, I, I remember when you know, the way I was raised and the, the way I pastored here for as an associate and then as a senior pastor for 17 years, we would support missions. We would make pledges, and we would support missionaries and missions works, and we blessed them. I, I often felt sorry for the way the missions program worked in the, the movement we were in because it put a lot of pressure on these missionaries and there had to have been a better way to do that and it was almost like you know if somebody couldn't go out and raise money they couldn't minister and that shouldn't be I understand the need uh, for for people to itinerate but it should have been done differently because it was tremendous pressure I had a lot of friends who went into the mission field I went to school with a lot of missionaries kids and I'd hear the stories of what they had to do now they weren't suffering but it was a lot of pressure that shouldn't have been on those people because there was an incredible missionary budget in headquarters I, I just thought that should have been changed but it never will at this point it never will be changed but you you don't just go and You've got to get people to accept Christ. But you better make sure that you're doing something further afterwards because even in our travels, 
even in our travels, we recognize that we're supposed to be making disciples. In other words, we are supposed to be establishing the kingdom and obeying what God tells us to do and the principles we've learned, but then to find people who God has prepared who are hungry for what the word is saying for a deeper walk, and we've got to train them. Just getting them born again is, is great. But that's the first step. I learned that in the church. When we first started to teach these deeper things in the scriptures, I found out real quick who in my church at that time wanted to go further with the Lord and who were just happy with the status quo. Because the status quo is comfortable. It doesn't put demands on you. So we would support people in missions. And I remember I was in... Um, was privileged to go to the nation of Benin in Africa. And we did ministry there and uh, on that trip in Nigeria and Benin. And um, we had brothers who came from Ghana and brothers who came from Togo and brothers who came from uh, even from Uganda and, and, and Nigeria that were just with us. But God gave us some powerful meetings there. And we went past the headquarters of a major Pentecostal movement. And I said to our host pastor, oh, look at that. I, th I thought it was funny because in French they call headquarters siege. And for us in America, we think of a siege as surrounding a city or surrounding blockading. And I, I guess you can see how that terminology came out of the French, but it was a headquarters. And I said, do you have any fellowship with this gentleman? He said, yes, he's a very good man. I said, does, do they, what kind of work are they doing? And he said, well, you know, they try to evangelize. He said, but this brother has told me on many occasions that he can't get his people to pray in the spirit or to speak in tongues. And it stunned me because this movement that that siege represented was established out of the general church on the basis of speaking in other tongues, the Pentecostal movement. So it's not just getting people to accept Christ or to join a a fellowship you got to be making disciples and then you got to make sure that you're preaching the gospel of the kingdom not just the gospel of the born again as important as that is and I have to always emphasize that that's the beginning point without being born again nothing else matters so here is the Lord and he's he's talking these things and he says, I was hungry, thirsty, stranger Zenos, naked. And then he says, I was sick. And you did not come to supervise and evaluate what needed to be done. Now, sick here is from our old friend in the Greek language, Astaneo, which is used in a number of ways. It's the spirit of in infirmity comes from that word, infirmity. Uh, the weaker vessel, famous in a lot of sermons that tried to demean women and make them be quiet, sit in the back with braided hair, beehive hairdos, and don't ever say anything until you get home and then control the conversation. Um, but but astheneo, as we've studied, is means this. It means to have form, means to have a body, but you don't have any power or any real movement in the body. We talked about the disease called myasthenia, asthenia, gravis, and how that really does a lot of things, but it basically says the body is not 
being able to be controlled. In etymologically, that's why they use that term. So it can mean a physical illness. It can mean a spiritual uh, opposition that would try to relegate something that was created to be functional as inoperative. But what else can it mean? Well, if you use your Bible program, once again, we direct you to this. It's the wisest $9.95 you will ever spend when you look at Olive Tree and you purchase that when it's on sale. Look at that. It speaks about the weak, the weak in faith, weak through the flesh, a brother who is weak-minded, somebody that's easily stumbling, offended, who is weak, uh, a stumbling block of the weak. Be careful when you walk around the brethren so that your actions don't wound the weak conscience. Um, once you get into the epistles, this word is primarily used to describe somebody that is basically immobile in their thinking, in their conscience, which basically regulates what you will allow and what you won't. I think sometimes people who have a check in their spirit or really should be saying, I have a sick conscience, biblically speaking. I'm weak-minded. The weaker vessel that is mentioned doesn't say that the woman is a lesser person. It, it speaks about, it was speaking about an authority flow, speaking there about how things should function. It was not some rigid type of thing, but it was really telling the husband, look, if, if you are a strong man and you are doing all of these things, you know, you're lifting that barge and toting that bale, and you've got your wife over here who necessarily might not be that kind of person, you view them as someone that God has created specially and don't, don't relegate them to an inoperative status because they're not you. It's, it's a, it's, that term was also used in a as a colloquial in the time frame <coughs> of something that was created to be beautiful that didn't have a whole lot of function. But that's not what it was saying about the woman. So you, I guess the point is you just got to recognize that everybody has a calling. Everybody was created to function. And if you husbands are domineering the household and you're looking at your wife as if she can't do anything, um, you're wrong. You know, and he goes on to talk about love your wife as Christ loved the church. Well, I see a lot of ways that Christ loved the church. Christ loved the church. Jesus loved the church and gave himself. Christ, the anointed son, loves the church, loves the ecclesia, because he wants the ecclesia to be sons and to know the Father. That's how Christ is loving the church. So we ought to believe not just for your spouse, whether it be a man or a woman, but the whole household, that they be strong in the Lord and that everybody be functioning in the giftings that God has given them. How do I know what those giftings are? Well, how do you know how, what giftings a kid has? How do you know that? You know, I see my little grandson, and I love my granddaughters too. I mean, but, but they're not babies anymore, so I'm talking about this little boy as a baby. And he does things that I didn't see that either of the granddaughters do. 
he seems to have an attention to detail in things, and he, he picks at them, and he tries to figure them out. That's some kind of a gift that needs to be noticed and developed. In fact, Sunday morning while I was waiting for people to get ready for the service to start, I carried him up on the platform, and we have a beautiful banner that says the name of Jesus on it. And his eyes lit up, and I, you know, we prayed up there. I was praying over him as we were up there, and he saw those letters, and he started picking it behind the letter to try to figure out how they come off. And I thought, what kind of kid does that? What, what is this? And I had to be very careful because I didn't, I'm not one of those grandparents that let their kids do anything they want. I had to be careful because I knew if he could, he'd get a hold of that seam and rip, rip the J off Jesus. Now, if he'd have ripped the S off, then it'd be Yesu, and half of our constituents around the world will think that's the way you spell it anyway. But spiritually, we need to be praying that those in our um, in our uh, uh, family, whether it's the wife or the husband or, you know, the, 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 the same Paul wrote about if you're woman, if woman, if you're living with a man and he's not a believer, which I would just say, how'd that happen? Of course, at that point, everybody was hearing the message for the first time. So maybe that woman got married before Jesus gave himself. I don't know. You got to be really careful who you give your heart to. That's just a message for all any of our younger ones that are listening. But, you know, it says, woman, woman, you pray for that man. Maybe he'll be saved through your, your holy walk and, and by, by your prayers. So there is that. So Jesus mentions this capacity. Yeah, it was used at times to speak about a physical illness. But usually it would just designate somebody who was immobile. It was not used to describe somebody who had any other kind of illness. There was just a lack of mobility. And then sometimes there were people with unclean spirits that it was a blockage. Unclean spirits can come against people. Unclean spirits function in the land. In fact, in the Old Testament, it speaks about when God really moves in the time of the end. Um, as opposed to those fake moves of God. No, when God moves in the times of the end, the unclean spirit will be driven out of the land. Why? Because function will be happening, and they won't find a place to just do nothing. Um, and we talked about how unclean spirits are, momentum, are, are designed in the enemy kingdom to block momentum. We talked about how uh, legion was an unclean spirit, uh, a group of unclean spirits. The Bible speaks about it. I know it was an army unit, but that was designed, probably created by God to function and to facilitate, but when the rebellion came, then they used those giftings as from, from, a, uh, from a, a negative perspective, so they blocked. The little boy that was foaming at the mouth at the base of the hill of Mount of Transfiguration was called to be possessed by an unclean spirit. It was there specifically to try to hinder that transitional moment where Jesus accepted a heightened measure of promotion, which is why he was transfigured. So when Jesus speaks about when you went, I was sick, and you did what was necessary of seeing, observing, and applying what needed, there were all these factors. Yes, there could be people who needed to be healed. Yes, there could be demonic influences that were restricting people. But let me just propose this. Is there much difference between an unclean spirit making somebody physically ill so that they can't move or an unclean spirit that is perplexing conscience, the ways of thinking, the ways of opposition that would rise against a move of the spirit? Which is worse? 
to me, the latter is worse. And it doesn't always have to be demonic influence. Once the enemy gets somebody, um, once the enemy sees somebody <coughs> who is thinking wrongly or who just wants to stop anything that threatens their power base or their, their immobility, the enemy can just let them go on. I, I've encountered people with sick consciences here at the church, and they do more damage than 10 demons do, or they've tried to at least. Then there are issues where unclean spirits are blocking places on earth. Um, you remember Jesus talking about strongholds. And then he says, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he roams through dry places seeking for a place where he can facilitate. And he comes back to the place he thinks is his. And he sees it, he sees it, you know, clean-filled garnish is what they should have done, but he sees it's lacking there. So he goes and consults with the seven worse, which I believe is the council of seven fallen principalities and he comes back and he take retakes that place and it's worse than when he first was ejected so you have when unclean spirit goes out of a man and then you have this discussion of a place those don't contradict each other they actually talk about how there's a combination between places and people you've seen areas of the world as we've traveled who, that for generations all the people in a certain area have a, a particular mindset and you know that it's a spiritual influence you can feel it when you come in I remember one time this has happened many times I remember the first time we were com coming into Bordeaux in France, maybe the second time, as soon as you entered the city, you could sense an enemy influence that was coming against us. It would it would try to get arguments. It would try to get unrest. Just strange things. I remember once we uh, we went and ministered um, just in the Netherlands, just across the border from Belgium. And it was a large church, and God did some tremendous things that night. It was just powerful. But I remember that afternoon and the hell we faced. I mean, it was, it was awful. Spiritual influences were just trying to bring disruption. And if, if you're not wise... Even a godly, spirit-filled team can just go right into that kind of stuff. And, but you have to recognize that there are unclean influences that don't want you there, and their, their intent is to keep the structure un, unchanged, to keep the people unchanged, and to just let the status quo reign. So in this progression of what Jesus is saying here, when he comes to, I was sick and you didn't come to review and to look and to observe and try to find out what needs to be done to rectify. And then I was in prison. You came to me and we looked at how that word really at root means to shepherd, to keep a watchful eye over. It, the word itself then was used to describe what you do with miscreants. Now you've got to put the, the challenging people in society into a place we would call a prison and keep an eye on them there. I don't think that that's working real well in a lot of parts of our country. I heard a report today from the British publication, The Daily Mail, about how that in California, there's such a progressive 
ideology that anybody that is not considered a quote-unquote nonviolent person is being reprieved from prison. And among them are thousands of pedophiles. The British called them pedophiles. And one guy who had molested several children was sentenced and then let out after less than a year. One guy. But there were hundreds and hundreds of these types of cases. So you want to keep an eye on those kind of people. I mean a watchful eye because children are at risk. And, um, but that word was not created to describe prisons. It was really created to describe how you need to watch over something that is functional. So here's the, the wonderful thing about this is that the Lord sitting on this throne of glory, the king, says that as you went through this progression, you were serving me. Because they said, the ones on the, on the sheep said, when did we see you in this way? And he says um, that, let's see, where is it? Verse 40, um, inasmuch as you've done it unto the least of these, my brethren. And least there is an operative term that describes the doing. As much as you've done it as someone who has made yourself decreased to fulfill what the mission is. It's the, from the root of when John the Baptist said, he must increase, I must decrease. It's that root is used to describe how we're created a little lower than the angels, where we must serve God and do so in the ways that he requires of us. See, serving God is serving God. It's not him serving us. It's us serving him. If you go to a restaurant and you have a server, hopefully you're not there to make their job easier. They're there to provide for you, or so it should be. So, as much as you've done this kind of things, my brothers, it, it, and it, 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 th that least of these speaks about the doing, and as much as you have done that, then he says, my brethren, talking again to you, um, you blessed of the kingdom, my brothers, if God's your father, Bob's your uncle. If God's your father, you, you're my, you're my, we're brothers, <laughs> which is great. He's my older brother, friend that sticks closer than a brother, but my elder brother. Um, and he says, you've done it unto me. You've done it with me. You've done it on my behalf. You've done it in the family business, but you've also done something that I created. You've done it to something that I created, and arguably, since God is everywhere, this is who I am. So this is wonderful to me. And then he speaks a curse. I don't know what the progressives do with that. They probably find some way to say this isn't godly. Be, those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. I don't know how you get around that. I'm sure there's some slick, carny salesman thing that progressive pastors who say there is no judgment to come will find a way to negate this, but they're going to answer for that. It's not me saying it. I'm just saying you lead people into that kind of discussion, you're going to have hell to pay. That's another story. But he says, you either, you didn't participate in this. You nations, you resisted this. 
And it goes back to the old story of, uh, you know, who's born again? What, what do you do for these people on a deserted island? This is the age-old question that comes up in Bible college seminaries or from some Weisenheimer in the back of a Sunday school class. What do you do for somebody that's on a deserted island somewhere and they've never had the gospel preached? And then, you know, the Mormons create some wacky thing that, okay, when Jesus ascended out of hell, he went to all these places and preached to them. <laughs> you don't know that. I don't think that happened at all. And even if in that ideology, if it did happen, what about the people now who weren't alive 2,000 years ago? Then you got the verse, nature proclaims the glory of God. You have God speaking to people. I don't know how that works, but God isn't creating a certain group of people that are just damned to hell. But the point, though, is that these nations definitively rejected. You read what's going to happen in the time of the end, and you see that. You got nations right now who are vehemently opposed to the message of the gospel. I mean vehemently opposed, repressive. I told you many times about the hindrances that we had um, to go into India many years. We had wonderful work for many years. I'm sure it's still going on. We were able to send our school at that time of 80 hours of teaching uh, through Bible colleges, through hundreds of churches for many years. And then the Indian government decided they were going to eliminate Christianity. They stated it. And they stopped giving visas to anybody that was a minister. I told you about going into China. On behalf of the airline who my wife worked with, and they rejected my visa request twice until the airline itself said, hey, wait a second, this man is coming with a spouse. She's necessary for this thing that your government has invited. So then the Chinese government quickly agreed to a visa for me, but it only lasted for one day longer than the conference. <laughs> it was the quickest visa known to man. I remember going into Russia, and again, they rejected my visa application twice. And of course, then every time you apply, you've got to pay hundreds of dollars to go there. And it was because I was a pastor. They finally agreed, I think, because the Olympics were going in there that year, and <clears throat> I had read that there were a lot of <clears throat> there were a lot of uh, people that were coming in from other parts of the world that were being given the bums rush on visa requests, and I think that Putin decided to lighten up for a while, and that's the only way I could get in. So there are nations, and there are many others that are even now rejecting the coming of anybody who would preach the gospel, and certainly anybody who would be bringing forth the saint's message. So you work. You do this work before it's impossible for you to go boots on the ground. We saw, we've seen the Internet being shut down, access being shut down. You see that the Chinese just convinced the wonderful, altruistic Apple Corporation from allowing airdrop in China. This just happened. You, you can see it. Look it up for yourself. Because protesters against the extreme COVID crackdown were using airdrop from phone to phone to, to speak, you know, we don't like this. So Xi Jinping convinced Apple to disengage that. Imagine that. An American company built in America, the land of free speech, helping a demagogue 
to, to repress his people. This stuff is starting to happen, and it, it's going to happen in greater ways. So we have work to do. Work. What work? Well, let's see. What does the king sitting on his throne, when it's all said and done, say? This isn't a matter of opinion. This is a fait accompli, as my friends in France would say. This is what is going to happen. Jesus, that smiling one, the picture that you have in your, in your, in your, uh, in your dining room. This is Jesus saying, you've, you've fulfilled what my Father has wanted from the foundation of the world. And he lists all these things, which is basically a progression of our mission as saints. And then he speaks to those who rejects this mission. And he tells them about a horrible fate because of their rejection. Our work as sons is very clear. And why don't you just go through there and pop on those words and see how they're used in the New Testament. See if you can determine a flow pattern. I could do it for you, but it's time. For, I've just told you this. I gave you all the answers. It's kind of like a teacher before a test going through the exact things that are going to be on the test. Always wondered about how kids could flunk that, but some do, and it takes a whole lot of trying to do that. What will we do? The year that's ahead, we have work to do, and we're laboring right now, preparing. God help us to to do as good of a job as we possibly can, that, that we would be, as the Apostle Paul said, the least of all saints, that we would do this measure of decreasing for our Lord better than we ever have. We'd serve him more completely than we ever have. This must be our goal there from Ephesians 3. <clears throat> when we're partnering with the Father, the foundational message of these mysteries so that we can teach and make disciples and to present this before the principalities and powers. That's all Ephesians 3. Right in the center of it is this glorious concept of being the, the least of the brethren. Jesus mentions that at his throne of glory in the presence of the angelic as the triumphant Lord at the end of all things. You and I will be there. Praise his name. Which side will we be on? Now's the time to decide. Now's the time to be active. So how will I be active, Pastor? Well, at the very least, support. But know that God has a place for every one of us. <clears throat> Our job is clear. We serve. But the parameters of that service are listed right here and we're doing it unto Jesus oh I just want to worship Jesus I don't know about this going and doing activations and calling forth a, a, a revitalization through the power of the cross uh, driving out the unclean spirit I don't know about this well Jesus says when you do those things you do it unto me wow we're serving him when we do that not just serving him, we are, we're doing it. He's there in the middle of it. It's as if he's the one who has been held back or attacked. We're going to free him. Tell me else, how else I could interpret what he says. 
I don't know really how all that works out, but I, it's enough to know that if he said it, I believe it. As the old preacher said, that settles it. Well, I've gone long enough. Perhaps some of you thought I'd gone on too long, but I bless you. I want to remind all of you that this coming Saturday is first Saturday. You should be getting a, an email of uh, what our um, what our uh, point of agreement is around the world as we pray in many different locations on this first Saturday. Welcome to December. Let's get ready for the days ahead. Thanks so much. I hope you've enjoyed this time of study in the Word. Continue to study it. It's powerful. God bless you all. Goodbye.